Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Moth House Games Podcast. My name is Delton. I'll be your host today, and with me, as usual, is my lovely wife and yellow player, Haley. Howdy. This is the Moth House Games Podcast. We are all about board games, card games, tabletop games, role-playing games, things of that sort, as well as beer. Uh, the first beer today is one of the last two from Ben. I'm so sad. I will remember you. We're going to have both of the beers from Ben, our final ones, on the podcast today. Uh, this one is Banana Bet. Oh my gosh, I already failed. <laughs> banana Bread Beer from Eagle Brewery. Ring, 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 banana, banana bread. Malt beverage brewed with bananas and with banana flavor added. Now, the banana flavor added is what concerns me because banana flavoring. As much as I love a good banana-flavored snow cone, it is very fake banana. Well, the problem is the banana flavor we get is actually the, ta- the flavor of a banana that is now extinct. I guess that's probably true, yeah. Probably true. It I is I mean, true. like, that's probably why Everything it tastes so different. But still, it's also synthetic. It is true. It is very synthetic. But also, again, it used to be the flavor of bananas. Bananas were a lot smaller, a lot sweeter, a lot more like candy. And so that's why you have that really odd banana flavor that everyone says, oh, that's banana, but tastes nothing like an actual banana. Right. Well, on the can here, it says, to this day, Eagle Brewery embraces different perspectives. It means that while others may move cautiously, we soar fearlessly. Take a different view. Fresh bananas pack a whole bunch of aromas, while rich malty hops deliver a seriously fruity flavor. All perfectly balanced by a masterful blend. Malt beverage brewed with bananas and banana banana flavor added. Uh, the note on this one says, A Jesse favorite, Ben's lovely wife. Ben is not so much a fan. Not local, but included at Jesse's behest. What's the word behest mean? It's like her imploring. Okay, I, I could get from context like how to use it, but I don't know a true definition. <clears throat> you must. It would behoove you. That is like... It's a lot of foam. It's a lot of foam. It almost looks like a cider. It's got a lot more of a dark color to it than I expected, actually. Better call Gwen Stefani, because this shit is bananas. B-A-N-A-N-A-S. Ooh, that smells like a banana bread. All right, I did give you a good... Uh, I gave you about the same, I guess. So looking through it, it is crystal clear amber color. I'm talking... There's not haze at all. Like, I can look through this beer closely, and I can actually see Haley's face. Like, legit, I can see you pretty well through the beer. And I'm beautiful. That's crazy. You're bananaful. That doesn't... You're just straight up bananas. It kind of does smell like banana bread. I do smell that that banana flavor added. Mmm. It tastes like... It tastes like they took a beer, and they added banana Laffy Taffy. It tastes like the banana runts. Do you ever have, like, the little runt candies? To me, the, those and banana Laffy Taffy are identical. Uh-huh. But yes, it's very much fake candy banana mixed with beer. It's like a summery banana beer. Like, this is the banana beer you want whenever it's, like, summertime. You don't want one that's more spicy in the winter. I, I, don't, I don't get fresh banana, like, at all. I'm only tasting a little bit of the fake banana flavor added. But I don't seem to be getting real banana. I don't know if I'm just missing it. I think it is the banana flavoring a lot. You kind of taste it in the afterbirth, the real banana. The, the, the banana flavoring is such a strong fake candy banana flavor, I think is the thing. It's, it's, it's fine. This one's not my favorite. <laughs> there you go. I enjoy this one. We've li- I've liked all the stuff that Ben has not liked. You know, at least finding it decent. This is the one I'd probably be like, eh, not a, not a big fan. It's fine. See, I can imagine having this in my kiddie pool, like, tomorrow. Yeah. If I didn't have to work. I could see that for this, you. This is definitely a sweet summertime kiddie pool beer. It is. It is. Well, what have we been up to since the last episode dropped? Oh, wait, it dropped while we were in Las Vegas. Yes, we went to Las Vegas, America. And Delton also got to visit two other new states in Arizona and California. I did. Uh, we flew into Las Vegas. Uh, if you didn't hear the last episode, or maybe the one before it, I don't know. Uh, if you didn't hear the last two episodes, or whatever, Haley, as an early birthday present for me, bought us tickets to AEW Dynamite on Wednesday night, Rampage on Friday night, and the Double or Nothing pay-per-view on Sunday night. 
all taking place in Las Vegas in the same week. So AEW is All Elite Wrestling. It's a professional wrestling company. So uh, if you don't like professional wrestling, I understand. I used to hate it a lot. I always thought it was the dumbest thing until Brian got me into it. And uh, once I once I found an appreciation for it and found what I did enjoy about it, uh, it just kind of took off. He's now literally knee deep in AEW action figures in his room. No, at this moment. I just have the full set of the first three lines of their action figures because yeah. it's the first action figures they put out. And then I had to stop because they put out too many. You also have two belts and a toy ring. I only have one belt. What's one behind your chair? That's not AEW. But still belt. And this is the one we gave. <laughs> we technically had this for Brian as a like gaming challenge thing. And then I never put it on the line. And we just kind of gave up. four years. I need to do it now. You're the reigning champion. I'm the reigning champ. We need to do it now. Um, anyway, we got to go to Las Vegas to go to wrestling shows. Uh, whenever we went to Arizona was literally just stepping across the borderline on the Hoover Dam. Yes, because the Hoover Dam, the middle of it is the border between Nevada and Arizona. And so Delton and I kept talking, we should go over to Arizona. We should go over to Arizona. Hey, let's go see the Hoover Dam. Maybe we can drive over to Arizona, get on the Hoover Dam. Oh, wait, look at this. What's this plaque we just crossed? Oh, shit, Delton, you're in Arizona. Congratulations. Yeah, so that was easy. Didn't really get to see much. Looked the exact same as the other side, but there we were. Uh, And then in terms of the California side, we went to Death Valley National Park. Y'all want to hear a story? Do it. So we're in Death Valley. Death Valley's hot. Death Valley's arid. Death Valley's kind of spooky. Our very first stop in Death Valley is this big overview called Dante's Overview. We're going up. Just Dante's View. Dante's View. We're going up. We are a mile down from the Salt Basin, which is the hottest place in the world and the lowest place in the United States. And we're cruising. We're going up. We're looking around. Delton pulls up his all trails. He says, hey, look, there is a neat little eight-mile trail right here. Let's do part of it. Just an out and back. And I said, Delton, something tells me not to do this trail. He said, come on, let's just go a little bit. Take a few more steps. Delton, I feel up my tummy. We should stop right here. Come on, take one step. Four foot rattlesnake. <laughs> right in front of me. Uh, yeah, we were, I, I was telling Haley, I want to at least do like a mile out, mile back because we're right there. Why not? But we don't have the equipment to do the full mile. We don't have the amount of water we need, any of that. So we wanted to do just a little bit. Uh, but yeah, we walk, we're standing there and we take a few more steps and out from under a bush near Haley, a rattlesnake comes out and starts run, leaving the trail. Uh, to which we said, all right, never mind. We're not prepared for like, we have no bite kit. We don't know what kind of rattlesnakes, what kind of scorpions. If something happened, do we have the necessary things? We don't. We should just not go further. So he should trust my gut from now on. Forevermore. Only sometimes. Forevermore. If I say, my tummy doesn't feel good about this, he must abide. The good thing is we talked to the ranger, uh, one of the park rangers there in the visitor center. Who talks about snakes and Ronald Reagan. Yes, he said with rattlesnakes, uh, their first instinct is to leave the area. Their second instinct is to freeze. Their third is to start rattling as a warning. And then their fourth is to actually strike. So if you see a rattlesnake literally like moving away from you, that's their first way of I'm getting out of here. There's something I don't want to be around. And right after he ran away, we stepped back and he turned back around, curled back up under his plant and just chilled. Yep, he went back into the shade. Found out, even though they are cold-blooded and they like to sit in the sun, they can only handle up to around 90 degrees. So it gets too hot in the desert sun, so they will stay curled up in little crevices in the shade. And uh, the park ranger said in the last 20 years, there have only been four rattlesnake bites, all of which came from people climbing because you are reaching up and putting your hand in a grip that's somewhere that you can't see it startles the snake snake strikes boom you've been bitten by a rattlesnake so he said that like everybody else you're pretty much fine just be aware but climbers are the ones that have the biggest problem to be fair if somebody just stuck their hand through my window of my bedroom in the middle of the night <laughs> i'd probably swinging. bite it <laughs> no i'd bite it there you go you, you assert my instantly. dominance yep <laughs> nailed it but yes uh out of the whole trip so the whole trip was very fun we got to see our friend Corey in vegas which was awesome. We haven't seen her in a long time now, I feel like. She came to Oklahoma City once. Yes. And this is the second time we've seen her since she moved because her, of that. Her car is melting in Vegas. Yeah, she has a piece of her car that's like falling off, and she usually just keeps it kind of duct taped. And the duct tape is melting, which is also melting some of that piece. And she said that it's so hot when you get in your car 
you have to have driving gloves because the steering wheel is so hot it legit will burn blisters on your hand. And we noticed that. We noticed how hot everything gets out there because they just don't have the cloud cover we do here in Oklahoma. But out of the whole trip, Death Valley was by far, well, I'm going to say wrestling was by far the top thing. Death Valley was just under it. I don't know. Death Valley was easily one of the top three best days of my life. Oh, for sure. Because it was just the most beautiful terrain. It's also where the original Star Wars was filmed. We learned that the National Park Service has a, an, or an, a guided audio tour of all the Star Wars filming locations. But we yep. saw a Zabriskie Point as well. Yep. We saw the Salt Basin, which again is the lowest point in the United States, hottest place in the world. Yep. We waited to visit that until sunset because we were cavorting around sea level and it was already 116 degrees. So it was yeah, hot. 117 was the high for the day that we were there. Yes. And so at nighttime, we drove out down to the Salt Basin and it's just unreal, the beauty. And we walked out to the Salt Basin a bit as far as you can really go Um and then walked back to the car area, laid down on some benches to watch the sunset. And it was so crazy because it would just be silent. No wind. Then all of a sudden, to your left, it sounds like 40 motorcycles. And then silence. Then a gust of hot 35-mile-per-hour wind. Nothing. Then to your right, 40 motorcycles. It was the wind coming over the mountains, down into the basin, and back up. It was the eeriest experience. It was weird. It was just so silent. And then the wind legit sounded like a giant motorcycle gang of just Harley Davidsons coming around the bend. And you're like, what? What is that noise? And then you, the wind would just hit you. And then it would pass you and you would hear it. And then it was just dead silent. And it was so strange. And then, of course, we got scared by a hat. <laughs> and yes. we got scared by a bug. And both of our anxieties ramped up so high. We were like, we have to leave. So we left. Well, in our defense, so... When we got first got to the salt base, we noticed there was a hat sitting in the parking lot. And we really didn't think anything of it. It was just like a ball cap. And so it was right after we had laid down on the benches for a while, watched the stars. Delton saw a bug on him, got up, started dancing around, saying, okay, it's probably about time to go. Well, then we hear, pat, 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 like feet running. Yeah, it sounded like, if you ever heard shoes on concrete running up behind you in the dark, that's what the sound was. And it was the stupid bill of that ball cap in the wind just hitting the concrete, and it sounded just like someone running up on us, and we were terrified for a hot second. Well, whenever you're, aside from one other couple that was about an acre away, we were the only oh, ones. Oh, I didn't point this out. When did you start using acreage for distance? <laughs> like, You've done that so much lately. Well, because I got tired of saying football field, and it's the same thing. Football field's an acre. But uh, Stop it. People don't know acreages. One hectare. People, <laughs> one hectare. <laughs> People don't know the distance of an acre. That's not common it, knowledge it unless was, you're in western Oklahoma. It was an acre in the direction of the crow flies. There, yeah, is a hop, skip, and a jump? Is that what you're telling me? A hop, skip, and a jump or over yonder. Just a stone's throw? So a hot second over to the left, there was another couple. Otherwise, we were the only ones in the entire basin. We're like, well, there's a good chance that they're not axe murderers. We can't be 100% certain. We couldn't see our hands in front of our faces. So it was time to bounce. We also got inoculated against the gas prices because Death Valley gas prices were about nine bucks a gallon. Yeah, the only gas station in Death Valley, they were almost nine dollars a gallon. And of course, it's a rental car, so I put in two gallons. I'm like, all right, this will get us back to Paw Rump, the first town you about an hour out of the park. Where gas prices were half the price. Where the gas prices were normal and you could fill up before going to Vegas, uh, back into Vegas, and it didn't register on the gauge at all. And Haley was like, just to be safe, put in two more. And so I was like, great, we're spending like uh was it 18 and 18 so 36 dollars for four gallons of gas and i was like god damn it that's a lot of money but i mean it sure beats dying in the desert it's this it is an environment that i would not want to be stranded in we had water we didn't have that much water well each of us drank over a gallon and a half of water like each and our gatorade and our gatorade so we probably had not including coffee and the, the couple of beers we had at the restaurant by the way, there was a restaurant that had a vegan and gluten-free options. We're like, oh my God. And also we had four beers, two appetizers, and two entrees for 30 bucks. It was great. But not including the beers and coffee, we had about two gallons of liquid that day. Yeah, it was a lot. And you need it when you're out there. But it was a good time. Death Valley was awesome. Uh, Vegas in general, like wrestling was great. Death Valley was great. Hemingway Park with the giant bighorn sheep was awesome. In front of Lake Mead where all the bodies are. Yeah, it's just all in front of you. 
Uh, Hoover Dam was neat. I wish we would have gotten to tour it. We just didn't have the time. We didn't get to go on the damn tour. On the damn tour. But uh, Vegas itself, the hotels are cool. If you're a gambler, awesome. If you're not, don't do it. Like, go see, go it. see it once for a day. Go in each of the big hotels. Eat. We got, got to eat Momofuku, David Chang's restaurant that's in the Cosmopolitan. Cosmopolitan. Uh, and it was very good. And I was very happy we finally got to eat at a David Chang restaurant. But once we went through the strip a little bit that day, and then we went through it more with Corey later. After that, I was like, all right, I never have to come back to the strip ever again, aside from like, oh, there's a wrestling performance in Mandalay Bay. We have to go to the show. If we did that, sure. But in terms of that, uh, it's not for me. It's not my scene. It's like $40 for a drink at some of the clubs. It's stupid expensive. And the only time we didn't use a coupon to get alcohol was either at the show or I had to go to the Flamingo and drink some rum because I was reading uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas while we were in Las Vegas. So I had to go have one in honor of Hunter S. Thompson because also I didn't have any ether on me so I couldn't see the lizards. So I had to honor him some way. There you go, exactly. But yes, Vegas is worth, uh, the Strip of Vegas is worth checking out at least once. Las Vegas itself, outside of the Strip, where the city gets normal, uh, was really neat. And it's somewhere I would like to go explore more. Awesome Asian district, a lot of great yes. vegan options. Yes. Interesting hiking trails yeah. all around. Beautiful scenery. Crazy ass drivers, but a great yeah. time. The drivers are insane, but it works. Uh, we learned this from a, a, a Lyft driver, but also learned it from driving and walking ourselves, which is. When your light turns green and their light is red, you should wait about three seconds because literally every time there will be one or two, maybe three people running that red light. No clue why. Somebody said it's all the California drivers. I don't even know, but uh, it's every time. Every time you would get to a light and your light would turn green, if you sit for just about a half second to one second, someone is running that red. So it's a crazy place. But yes, it was a very fun trip. Uh, it was just exhausting. Also because we w we only had the rental car for a day and a half. Otherwise, we walked everywhere. Yeah, I think if I did it again, instead of lifting anywhere, I would just rental car and pay to park because those lift prices have gone up a lot. And in Vegas, it's you know even higher. But I that rental car was not expensive. So I would rather just... I mean, I think their rental car like fees and everything for Thursday morning all the way through their close of day on Friday was like 110 bucks. I would rather spend 50 bucks a day for that rental car because that's the cost of like three lifts, maybe. So I would rather do that. But anyway, uh, check out Vegas once. It was a great vacation for us. And since then, I think we've mainly just been trying to relax a little and breathe. I've been working. Haley's been working. I got work tomorrow. So we got to get this podcast done. Oh, here's the door. It's straight ahead. It's... It's a game. So the game for this episode, we are going to talk about Ginkopolis from Pearl Games. Uh, Ginkopolis, I forgot to find the actual like full credits in the rulebook. Normally I find the credits and have it ready to go, but not this time. Uh, designed by Xavier Georges. I'm going to say his name is Georges because he's from Belgium and I don't know how to speak Belgian. What do Belgians speak? Belgianarian. No, really. French. Ah, that makes sense. I don't know why that caught me off guard. Uh, anyway, illustrations are by Gail Lenurian. Computer graphics are by Megapole.com. And English translation is Nathan Morse. Uh, that's the only credits in this book. It's pretty small. Uh, yes, this is from Pearl Games. And uh, Xavier, the designer of this game, you may recognize his name from Black Angel, Twa, and Carson City. Those are probably his biggest, most popular titles. Uh, Twa is one I am very fond of. Very difficult game, but I really enjoy it. So in Ginkopolis, uh, the year is 2212. Uh, Ginkgo Bill... Uh, so I always say, I try to think... <laughs> I try to say it as Ginkgo Balboa. Uh, Ginkgo Biloba, the oldest and strongest tree in the world, has become the symbol of a new method of building cities in symbiosis with nature. Basically, all the good resources are gone and you have to make sure to save the trees. And they're the Ginkgo trees. Uh, if you've never seen a ginkgo tree, they have a very unique and iconic leaf shape, which is the shape of all the money in this game. Uh, essentially, for the theme, you are different city designers, city planners, and you are trying to build a city up to make the best city you possibly can, and doing so with nature, I guess. Uh, the theme is not 
really integrated. Uh, Haley was like, I don't get how the theme fits. And I was like, it's because it's pasted on. <laughs> yeah, I, I think for me, whenever I first started playing the game, it took me a, a, probably about half the game to really get into it. That's because I was thinking way too much into the theme. I was like, I don't understand why I am having to collect these leaves in order to get things. Why are the leaves currency? It's not making sense. And Delton's like, it's pasted on. But I kept trying to make sense of it during the game. Like, why am I doing this? Rather than just focusing on the mechanics. Because that's how my brain works. I know we've talked about that in the most recent episodes of how I like to incorporate theme. This is not one you should incorporate into the gameplay. Just play the game. Don't be a Haley. Don't overthink the Gingo leaves. Exactly. Luckily for, the, for you, listener, this game is uh, it's really not that complicated, which was sort of surprising. I was expecting it to be more complex. Unless you're like Haley and you make it too complicated. Yes. So in the game, you're going to have three things you do on your turn. You're going to choose a card from your hand. You're going to resolve the actions based on that card, basically. And then you're going to prepare for the next round. Uh, choosing a card from your hand. You have a hand of cards. You pick one. Then at the end of the turn, after everybody resolves that card... You will pass that rest of your hand to your left and draw a new card to then have a fresh hand of four, I think it was, and then you will pick one from that new hand, pass it to the left, so it is essentially drafting your action cards around the table. Uh, When you resolve the actions, you can do it in three different ways. You can play the card by itself, which strictly rewards you with uh, different goods, whether it be resources, victory points, you know, something like that. Uh, So that's uh, exploiting a card. It looks like, yeah, it's just playing the card by itself to get some stuff. You have urbanizing, which is essentially expanding the playing field. So in the center of the table, you will have a three by three grid of tiles. And then alongside those tiles on the outside, you're going to have the, I almost said uh, numbers. You're going to have the letters A through L. And basically you'll be able to expand. So those first nine tiles in the middle that's in the three by three, That's your, like, starting city, and you'll be able to expand the size of that with the urbanization, where you play a card and put a thing down and do some stuff. And then you have constructing a floor, which is putting a tile on top of another tile, which can raise the number, it raises the floor, which raises the benefit of that tile if you build next to it, which also, you know, puts how many resources uh, you put on it, which is like a little area control game. So you're either playing a card for just straight you know, some kind of benefit. You're playing a card to expand upon the size of the city, or you're playing a card to build upward and create a new floor on one of the buildings. And those are going to be the only actions you do in the game. I think what makes this game neat, I should say there is a solitaire version, which of course we did not mess with, but that is included. But I think something that makes this game uh, interesting to me is it's quite the combination of mechanisms. Because it, on the surface level, when you look at it, it's a tile placement game. However, you're also drafting cards, so you can kind of add that you have a drafting element. You are sort of building a bit of an engine because as you build new buildings, you are taking cards and keeping them in front of you for a permanent benefit throughout the game. So in the beginning, when you build a new floor, you just build a new floor and get a few things. Later, toward the end of the game, you can build a new floor, get those few things, but also get two more tiles, three points, and and two resources. And you're like, oh, crap, that's a lot of stuff. So you kind of are engine building in the process. Like, there's so many different elements that work together in this game, as well as area control for in-game scoring. It's really pretty wild, all in all. Uh, But something I enjoyed is that uh, in the way that you build in the city, when you play a tile and you build that tile next to another, you get the benefit of what it's next to. So that incentivizes you to build the city outward. When you build upward, you are actually covering up a city tile. Those tiles have numbers. It's like, what, 1 through 20 in each color or something? Yeah. So when you cover that up, uh, you are actually playing the card with that number that you're covering. So like, if I wanted to play the number 10 tile on top of the number 2, number 10 red on top of the 2 red, I would be playing the two red tile, or sorry, two red card, saying, I'm playing on top of this. I'm building, you know, this tin tile that I have here. Uh, Now that number two red card stays in front of you and you get its benefit for the rest of the game. So it's pretty neat how, like, every action you take has different ways to give you something. And then every time you build on top of it, even though you're using resources, you're taking your turn to do that, it is establishing a point of area control in the game, which is a way to get points at the end. 
It's also giving you a benefit toward toward the rest of the game with that card that you kept. And it's like there's so many ways that I feel like it's rewarding you, but it never feels like uh, it never feels like a point salad version rewarding. Not point salad. Yeah. So you know those games where you're like, ah, I'm gonna do this and I get a point and I do this and I get two points, but it's like everything you do, all of it gives you points yes. to the point that none of it feels special. This doesn't hit that level. Right. Does that make sense? It does, absolutely. Like, not every single thing that you play is necessarily going to give you points. Yes, but all of it gives you a reward to incentivize you. Yes, you can build off of things like, like you said, uh, you know, building the same colors next to each other. You can also cut off colors, and you can split your wife's little colony in half, making her lose a lot of points. So the way the area control works in this game is pretty interesting, right? The very beginning of the game... All the tiles in the city are on the same level. They're all on the very bottom. The minute you build on top of it, you have now built uh, basically the second level, and you get to put uh, two of your resource tokens on there. I should say your resource tokens are limited in a specific number, and you have to actually, when you gain a resource, it brings it back behind your player screen, so you now have the ability to use it on the board. So sometimes you want to do something, but you don't have the resources which is an interesting interesting kind of uh, little uh, like system, I thought. But when you build something on top of something else, uh, if it's the second level, you're adding two of your little tokens, right? Your little resource color tokens. And what that does is say, I own this, and I own this with two. Now, every building around it of the same color, that uh, all of those make a district in this game, since you're building a city, right? It makes a district. That district has certain scoring at the end of the game based on how many resource tokens there are. Uh, To be a little more specific on it, let's see if I can find that. I forget, the solitaire rules keep throwing me off because it's right at the end, but it's not the actual end of what we want. So the way that it works, uh, basically in each district, so let's say there's four blue tiles, like blue building stacks next to each other. Uh, Once there's two or more, you have a district. When there's four, it's the player with the highest number of resources, so they're little, your little like control markers. The player with the highest number gains as many points as the total number of everyone's resources in that district. So if there's four blue tiles, and I've got three of my orange, Haley's got two of her yellow, and somebody has two green, then if I have three orange, I have the most, I'm going to get three plus the two for Haley plus the two for the other player, I'll get seven altogether. And the second place just gets as many points of their own color. Uh, So that's something that's kind of interesting. But what this game allows you to do is when you're building tiles on top of other tiles, you can actually change the color for a cost. So what you're able to do is go in like I did to Haley. And be a jerk. And change the color of something, breaking that district into two parts, lessening the amount of points she has, and lessening how much how many more resources she has in that district than I do. But don't fret, dear listener. Haley's still won. Yeah. By a pretty good margin, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Your area control, was like she came in and basically started booting me out and doing stuff while I was trying to do other things, and then it just, she just dominated. But it's, uh, it's pretty neat. The area control is kind of a fun thing. It's, you have to focus on it early, so it's definitely something to uh, understand and teach well in the beginning. But it's really interesting. This game, I'm finding it hard to conceptualize a way to talk about it. And like, I feel like it's hard for me in my brain to, to make an image of what I'm saying. So as a listener, you might be having a hard time. It's worth looking up a photo or looking up a small video because the game, it doesn't have the best table presence. You're not going to walk by this and go, ooh, what's that? But at the same time, when you play it, you go, oh, that was good. Like, this is a good game. Yes, I think that the reason why it's so difficult, or at least it feels difficult to explain, is, again, going back to my big criticism, is that the theme's kind of painted on. I just I just feel like the even oftentimes never themes are just painted on, or you can tell the themes seem to at least work with the mechanics, and you can make sense. But with this, I just don't feel like the theme really fits with the mechanics at all. And, you know, maybe this is somebody's dream to make a, a Ginkopolis-themed game. Maybe this is a you know, a science fiction story that they have in their mind. And that's awesome. Just for me, it was very hard to conceptualize what this game is about, aside from just the mechanics, in a way. Yeah, no, it it really is the, this is the true definition 
of a pasted on theme to where the theme and the the mechanisms and stuff do not work together. Like, yeah. it's not that they're clashing, but none of what you're doing solidifies what the theme's about. You draw your tiles, you place your tiles, you stack your tiles, you want tiles of similar color next to each other. Whenever you cover tiles to make a stack, the ones that you cover, those cards get into your hand, and those cards give you special abilities. Now make it ginkgo trees. I mean, basically, right? That's the biggest criticism. Uh, Something that's not a criticism that I thought was very interesting that you don't see often, uh, the entire rule book uh, is using the pronoun of her or she. Uh, That was interesting because that's not something you see very often. Um, But that was really neat. I even told Haley, I was like, oh, hey, this is surprising. I haven't seen this possibly ever. I know that there's other examples out there. I just can't remember any. Um, But that was nice. That was nice to see. Uh, I'm still waiting for the moment when every rulebook company finally decides to just go, player one can do this. The player can do this and just finally end any worry or any anything because I feel like that would be the simplest also for read legibility. And most inclusive too. It would be the most inclusive. Uh, However, this is still cool to see. Yes, it is. And despite my criticisms, I did like the game. I would actually like to sit down and play it now that I have a better understanding, <laughs> now, now, that like, not, this theme. now that I uh, am not spending the first half of the game trying to figure out why everything works together with trees, is, is I know I've, and again, I know I've talked about this in really recent episodes, but part of how I play games is like incorporating how does this theme work? I feel like the theme really helps me to conceptualize the game and it really helps me to plan. But for the first half of the game, again, I was like, how the hell is this all tied together? It's not making any sense. I know these are the tasks that I do, but why i mean i still won so it's fine but that was my complaint still like the game still recommend it because you got to place a lot of pretty tiles hey what can i get you i'd like a topic any special way make it a top shelf topic coming up enjoy before the tile time let's have another beer oh god Beer uh, me a beer. So this is from Jackie O's. That's all I got. It's from Jackie O's. This is Dark Apparition, a Russian Imperial Stout. Uh, it says, The hauntingly good brew in your hand is rife with dark complexities. A monolithic maltiness and decadent notes of chocolate, uh, sorry, and of dark chocolate, toasted caramel, and rich coffee have made this hollowed stout a cult classic since 2007. Share Dark Apparition with friends and family and celebrate the eerily spirited history of Athens, Ohio. It is a 10% alcohol by volume. Oh, God. Ben's note says, Jackie O's Mystic Mama or Who Cooks for You are fantastic, but I can't give you all IPAs. Folks tell me this is a good one, too. I'm excited. I wonder where Jackie O comes from. Or if it's like Jackie O Nassis or if it's something else. Oh, no. Messes are to be made. A little foam. Oh, good amount of foam. I gotta wipe it on my pants. These pants were clean. Nature's napkin. Now my hand smells and it's sticky. Ooh, my hand smells like chocolate and coffee, though. Ooh. I'll take it. I want to hold your hand. No, it's sticky. You can lick it clean if you want. Uh, (laughs) This is a family podcast. You don't know where I've been. Got the cootie. The boy germ. You got more than I do. Nice. Wasn't going to let Delton get away with giving me less beer this time. I need a napkin. Lick them clean. Ooh, I just lick my fingers clean. Tastes really good. All right, so this one, Russian Imperial Stout. We'll see if it's exactly what I expect. Uh, It is extremely dark. You cannot see through the beer at all. No light is penetrating that. Uh, Both glasses have a very high head retention. It smells like you just put your nose in a container of Hershey's cocoa powder. It does smell quite a bit like cocoa powder. Little coffee in there. That, That, like, toasted caramel as well. Oh, dang. Yep, Russian Imperial Stout. So, oh wow, it's very thick, very thick, very heavy mouthfeel. It tastes like a chocolate malt in the aftertaste. It hits fairly clean, brings in some chocolate and a little coffee, and then when it ends, I get bitterness of coffee, and I get the, it's not bitterness, but it's the that that toasted caramel, that little bit of like. Mm. dark sugar taste comes in in the aftertaste. Absolutely, it does. Oh, man, that's definitely a Russian Imperial. You can tell by flavor, 
kind of by just that that malty bitterness, but it's offset with the sweetness as well of that caramel. Ooh, the, the aftertaste it really it's like a it's like a malted milk ball. What are those whoppers? It kind of does taste like a whopper. That's a whopper right there. Yeah, both figuratively and literally. That's a really good beer. I mean, it is a Russian Imperial Stout. It's also been sitting in this room for thirty plus minutes. Becoming closer to room temperature, which probably, you know, that's honestly better for stouts. Uh, but that's really oh. good. That's just a hefty beer. That's going to take a minute to get down. That's what she said. There you go. But yes, uh, for the topic today, as Haley alluded to, we wanted to talk, and by that I mean Haley's idea, and then I realized we hadn't talked about it. Uh, we thought we would talk about tile placement games. Originally, she or she had this idea. She also had an idea about hoarding resources, which we can talk about in this a little bit because of the way the game works. But uh, her idea of talking about tile placement, because there's a lot of tile placement games and it's a very popular style, or at least it was a very popular style. I feel like in the beginning of this new renaissance of board games that started in like the late 2000s, early 2010s. I feel like a lot of tile, it was like from 2012 to 2017, you saw a lot of tile placement games. You really did. Um, So basically tile placements, just like it sounds, you draw a tile, you put it down. There's some kind of rule about where you put it, how you place it, things like that. This game's the same way, right? You've got these tiles, you play a card. Based on the card you play and the resources you have and where you're placing it, you can put this tile down to expand and grow the little city in front of you. Other tile placement games are a little different. Uh, Probably the most classic example is Carcassonne or Carcassonne, depending on who you ask. Uh, But Carcassonne is about placing a title, building cities, expanding roads, expanding farms, you know, surrounding uh, cloisters, doing all kinds of stuff to build out a giant city and gain points. Catan is the same way. Well, Catan, you don't place tiles, though. Only for setup. Never mind. It's been a long time (laughs) since I played Catan. (laughs) That's a game we don't get off the shelf pretty much ever. But King Domino now, King is Dom- where you play. King Domino is a little tile placement game. It's drafting with tile placement where you take a little tile and put it next to ones. You want the water to be next to the water, the blue grass to be next to the blue grass, the uh, desert to be next to the desert, and you can get more points based on how you do all that, right? Absolutely. You've also got one of my all-time favorites, Isle of Sky, where there's a little bit of bidding and selling and things with tiles, but you place tiles to... Expand on the mountains, expand on the roads, expand on the the lakes, and different things like that. And there's different ways you want to do it. So tile placement, there's been a lot of games that utilize it, but uh, what is it, I guess Alhambra as well, Alhambra's a big one. Uh, What is it about tile placement that's just so fun? Because it's similar to tableau building, is it just the fact that you get to see what you're building, whether it be as a group or separate? I think so. I think it's watching the... uh... Basically, your play area expand in front of you is always really fun, and so you never really know, you know, what's going to be out there and what's not. Uh, I'd have to say, like with uh, tile placement games, there was a period in my game play where I really—I hate to say it now—but I really looked down upon them in a way. Yeah, you used to, or you still do? I used to. Oh yeah. Because, like, whenever I, you first got me into the hobby, you know, there's all these new board games, and I really gravitated towards, you know. Carcassonne. I gravitated towards Catan, even though I know that's not really tile placement. But I feel like there is this period, like in my mid board game experience, where I started to look at tile placement games like, oh, that's too easy, or that's that's not complicated enough. And like I kind of got a little bit of, I don't know, pretentiousness about my board games. Where yeah. especially whenever King Domino came out, I remember we were at Gen Con. Uh, whenever King Domino came out, like yeah. whenever it premiered. Bruno Cathalo was there. I got my picture taken with him. I remember, like, we kind of play tested a little bit, and I was like, "That's too simple. This could not be. This could not be a fun game. That's way too simple for board gaming." And I kind of started to feel that way towards Carcassonne. Oh, you're just drawing tiles and placing them. That's that's way too simple. And I feel like the more refined I've gotten my board games, the more I start to see how much strategy and how much complexity you can have in such a simple game like that. And so I don't feel that way anymore, but there was a, a while where I was like, oh, I, don't, I didn't like them because I thought they were too simple. But I think I can appreciate them now. And King Domino, I love, and I can see that there's a ton of strategy in that game now. And also, I wreck shop whenever I play that game because I have the perfect placement strategy down. And so I, I enjoy them a lot now. 
it's one of those things where tile placement are the games that you get introduced to modern board games with. And then tile placement is something you introduce younger players to games with, right? And then as you develop and change and grow into board games, you start to leave behind what you think is simple, go toward the complex, and then you slowly find yourself rounding back around to where you say, these games are great because they're simple. These games are great because of this. And then you find a new appreciation for tile placement, whether it be understanding the complexities or the strategies further, whether it be wanting something that's a little bit simpler like King Domino, whether it be, you know, uh, just finding new fascination with Alhambra, Big Box, and all the, ex- the expansions. It's, it's one of those styles that a lot of the games that are now modern-day classics is the term that I read. I read somebody's review of Ginkopolis on Board Game Geek. I can't remember the person's name. But they said Ginkopolis feels like a modern-day classic. It feels like your Carcassonne. It feels like your Alhambra. It feels like the game that you go, this is a really good game. It's a little older, but it's still really good. It has that feeling to it. And I think that a lot of tile placement games have that because they're great games. There's a reason people like them so much. There's a reason they're still around, right? There's a reason I think Carcassonne's at Target. There's a reason for that. And it's not that because they're, you know, overly simple or something like that. It's because they're good games. They're fun. But there's something about that. I mean, building out something on a board is always entertaining. Uh, Spatial reasoning, no matter how bad I am at it at times, spatial reasoning is something that's like fun to sort of work and tweak as long as it's not too complicated. And so I feel like tile placement games just always hit that. uh, they, They hit little buttons. They just don't hit them hard. But it's still enough to say, I get a little strategy here. I get a little visual like appreciation here. I get a little of this here and a little of that here. And it's all good. It may not be all the strategy ever, all the visuals ever, things like that. But it hits so many things at once. I think it just makes them a style of game that stick around, I guess. And they're, they're always fun to come back to and play. Absolutely. I think you you said it best. Like, it gives you enough of the strategy. It gives you enough things to work with, whether it's the spatial reasoning, whether it's the planning, you know, whether it's the just the, the placement in general. But it gives you just enough without being overwhelming. And I think I've, had, I've learned really to appreciate tile placement, especially in the last five years. Like I said, I've grown to love King Domino. I've grown to fall back in love with Carcassonne and Alhambra, too. I'd like to play that again. And so Ginkopolis, I can definitely see that this is, you know, like I said, the, the new classic style because it is very similar to those old games. Was Ginkopolis my favorite? No, it was not. Was it enjoyable when I played again? Yes, it was. But in the end, I would really like to play more tile placement games because I forget just how much fun they are. I should mention with Ginkopolis, uh, this is the 2020 reprint or 2021 reprint. Uh, it looks like this rule book says 2020. Uh, it's actually a little bit older of a game. And like when it initially came out, it legit flew off the shelves and has been gone for a little bit because we bought this as a used copy at Game HQ. Uh, yeah, the original was 2012. Ah, so it sounds like I just really need to play this again and just forget the theme. I think that's what I need to do because I if it's... yeah been reprinted 10 years after its initial print and people are still picking it up and loving it i think i need to give it another chance with a better understanding yeah because they're about to reprint the expansion Mm. because enough people have bought the reprint now that it's hard to get a hold of new game hq had one copy which given they have so many games they only have one at most like three copies of any single game but um, they're going to be reprinting the expansion and i saw on uh, board game geek there's posts from this year in like March and April of people saying when is the expansion coming out because I'm having a hard time finding the base game so it's still a very popular game because it is a good game but as I said and have you have kind of noted it does feel like a modern classic it feels like the games that we got into this hobby with but we're not going to get rid of because we still love them and they're still fun games but yes tile placement is all super fun we really enjoy tile placement Uh, I do agree the Ginkopolis' theme, you just have to put it aside the next time we play. But there is one thing about trees. 
And now, join us for a Malt House Games podcast special, Pint Size Question. So the question for this episode, what's your favorite tree? As you, I know we've, we've already talked about doing this question this episode, but as you just said that, I'm 99% certain we've already done our favorite tree. Are you sure? I think so. I think it was in the Arboretum episode. Oh, shit. Do control uh, hold find. On, hold on, hold on, hold on. We're, Why be scrambling? We're, we're doing it live. Doing it live, Cotton. Uh, we're doing it live. Hold on. Control uh, find tree. I'm in. Control con- find tree. Give me a second. Tree. Hold on. That's Legend of the Cherry Tree that we've never done. Uh, nope, that's it. Oh. Ha-ha! I just made that up then. Well, here's the thing. What did we do on the Arboretum episode? And when was that? That was a long Control time Control find ago. Arboretum. Arboretum was episode number 20. It was, that was Gen Con, post-Gen Con. Oh, God. Gen Con 2018. That was our first Gen Con, Gen Con 50. Oh. Because we did pre-Gen Con on episode number 19, which was Bitten, Ben's game. And then uh, 20 was... Uh, Arboretum that we bought at Gen Con because we have the version with the mistype on the back of the cards. Gen Con 17 was our first one. Oh, that's right. Gen- 18 was Wait. second. Was it? Because 19 was whenever you yes. worked with Alan and them. Because 17, uh, 17 was, we hadn't launched the podcast yet. We had not. There you go. So this was our second Gen Con in 2018. Mm-hmm. Gen Con 50 was in 2017. So just like cut all that out, blame it on the a- a- <laughs> alcohol and the 1042 at night. Anyway, favorite tree. What you got? I really love peach trees. Do you love the peaches or the tree itself? I love both. I love the peaches because, of course, who does not love a good peach tree? But I remember my grandma having peach trees in her old farmhouse. And I remember my great-grandmother having peach trees in her house in town. I remember my aunt having peach trees in her uh, acreage. Acre again. Ha ha. I just remember a lot of the... uh folks in my family, a lot of the older generation, having peach trees. And for me, the peach tree symbolizes, of course, peaches and nourishment, but also it symbolizes, you know, the time it takes to nurture something because they had all grown those trees since, since you know, 20 years before I was born. And they had to nurture them for so long in the hot Oklahoma weather in order to get them to produce. And so I really appreciate the trees, the dedication it took for them to grow them. And just for me, they symbolize that nurturing and that patience and deliciousness it's a pretty good one so mine that i'm gonna put is a tree i've never seen in person what but i always think they look so cool uh which is the mangrove tree the ones in swamps where they grow up out of the water with the crazy dangly roots Whoa, that's wild. You've seen those, right? Anytime you watch a movie where they're going through a swamp, it's those tree roots all around them. They're fascinating to me. They're the coolest trees, but I've never seen one in person and I would love to. I just think they're awesome. Um, If it was something that I've seen and been around, uh, I've always been a fan of weeping willows. They're gorgeous trees. Uh, Very, very interesting. So that's my local answer. Mangrove is my uh, got to find it in nature one time answer. I think Oklahoma has swamps in the southeast corner. We do have some because there are crocodiles. Alligators. Alligators. Uh, I didn't know which one it was. Alligators are freshwater. Crocodiles are, I think, aren't there freshwater crocs though? Oh, I'm not sure. That's a Google for later. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's going to wrap up this uh, question here. I want to give a shout out to all of our Patreon patrons. Thank you so much to Allison, Allen, Jennifer and Cliff, thank you all so much for supporting us on Patreon at the level in which you get shouted out on the podcast. Thank you so much to all of our other patrons for backing us and supporting us. If you want to be like them in any way or just check out our page in general to read about us a little bit, you can head to patreon.com, geez, patreon.com slash Malthouse Games, M-A-L-T-H-A-U-S Games. You can also head over to malthousegames.com. Uh, which I just now realized I need to update for the last few board games that, uh, episodes we've done. You can head there to check out all of our content we've had. You can also go to shop.malthousegames.com if you want to buy a shirt with our logo on it or a beer glass with our logo on it or a fanny pack with our logo on it. You never know what you're going to want with our logo on it. So I feel like I'm going to put a bird on it. Put our logo on it. Put our logo on it. <laughs> put a malt house on it. If you want to uh, tell us a game we need to find and cover on the podcast, 
If there's a topic you think we need to try and cover or a question you would like us to answer on the show, make sure to send an email to contact at malthousegames.com. And like we said, these beers were from Ben that we did a beer swap with. So thank you again, Ben, for all the amazing beers uh, we did. I'm trying to think. The mango beer was the one that Brian drank because we found out it had lactose in it. Darn those non-vegan beers. But it uh, smelled delicious. It smelled delicious, and he said it was very good. So thank you for all those beers. This is going to wrap up the Ben Beers saga of the podcast. Uh, this arc is over. We're moving into filler for a while. But if there's a beer you want us to talk about, we will try to find it locally and see if we can get it to do on the show. Uh, you can always find us on social media at Malthouse Games, M-A-L-T-H-A-U-S Games. You can find me personally at Delton Brack, D-E-L-T-O-N-B-R-A-C-K. You can find Haley at S-Q-U-I-R-R-E-L-Y-G-E-E-K. That is at Squirrely Geek. I think that that's going to cover everything for now. Um, I was going to say we're going to try to do this board game on the next episode, but I don't want to dedicate myself because I don't know which one we're doing yet. Let's not jinx ourselves. We've got one that I want to do, but we'll find out if we have time. Be our luck to say, oh, we're going to do the six-hour board game, and then the next time you log in, it's going to be, we played Monopoly, I, Cheaters Edition. I don't think, I don't think aside from Twilight Imperium 3rd Edition, I don't think we have a six-hour board game. Oh, I can make it six hours. The closest we have after that, I think, is Food Chain Magnate. Ooh, yeah, yeah. Food Chain Magnate's probably our second longest. And then after that, it's probably Sekigahara and then Twilight Struggle. I shouldn't know that offhand. <laughs> I'm really impressed. I'm trying to like find another game to like top you, but as you make direct eye contact with me and can list off any game, its designer, its artist, and what the cover looks like. Not quite, but uh, uh, I know my collection pretty well. Yeah, I, I can't. I cannot top you. That's fine. Uh, but anyway, I think that does it for this episode. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening. Hopefully you enjoyed this episode about Ginkopolis. Uh, highly recommend giving it a shot. Uh, check out a lot of the things Pearl Games does. Uh, Xavier Georges, the designer. I'm probably butchering his name. I apologize so much. I need to write. If I would have realized that the, the Belgians spoke French, I would have looked up how to do. Is it? It's probably its own dialect, but not like French Canadian French, but like similarish to French. I guess so. Making up words. Uh, anyway, that was Belgianarian, like I, I said earlier. I should have, <laughs> I should have looked that up. However, check out his other games like Twa, that is amazing, uh, and Black Angel, which I have not played but I own. I'll get there one day. Until next time, sit back, relax, grab a drink, and play some games. We'll see you folks later. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.